0: Jim Rohn said you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. On this episode, the key steps for improving the relationships you cultivate. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 455.
1: Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential.
0: Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host. Dave Stahovia. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I think so much about conversations in my work and in the work of our Academy members and our listeners. And of course, if we're gonna have the best conversations, we need to be mindful of the relationships that we build. And perhaps more importantly, that we nurture as we go forward in our lives, both professionally and personally. Today, I'm glad to welcome to the show someone who is an expert at helping us to build and strengthen great relationships ...and is doing some really exciting work in this area. I'm thrilled to welcome to you Colleen Bordeaux. She is a best-selling author, speaker, and human capital consultant based in Chicago. She has been published everywhere from the Chicago Sun-Times to the Huffington Post... ...and has been endorsed by New York Times columnist and past guest, Barry Schwartz... ...and Sunday Times best-selling author, Louise Parker... Her popular blog has reached more than 200,000 readers, and she leads a women's mastermind group in Chicago. She is the author of the new book, Am I Doing This Right? A Philosophical Guide to Life in the Age of Overwhelm. Colleen, we're going to learn if we're doing this right after this conversation, right? (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Thanks for making the time to be here. I was thinking about the quote that you have in the book from Charles Jones, that says you are the same today that you're going to be in 5 years except for two things the people with whom you associate and the books you read tell me about that
1: that's one of my absolute favorite quotes and i think it's one i heard a long time ago but over the course of my career have found that to be true and when i look at the people who i've learned the most from And the people who have helped me become who I am, those two elements, the people or relationships those people have cultivated and the books they've read are what they credit for their success. And when I consider the course of my career and my life, I would say those are two of the most critical factors for me as well.
0: This is something that is a real challenge for us as human beings in general, but I also think at this particular moment in history and technology, it's even a bit more of a challenge perhaps than it was a generation ago. I was thinking about the work of Dr. Vivek Murphy, the past Surgeon General of the United States, and thinking about loneliness and the research they've done on loneliness. And, and he's on record saying that loneliness is as detrimental to health today as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, which is just amazing when you think about the medical and biological implications of that. How do you see loneliness showing up when you're working with people in today's environment?
1: First of all, such an important topic. And I think that the first thing I'll say is I feel as though our purpose and our fulfillment in life and at work are so connected to the relationships that we cultivate. And a huge piece of your ability to cultivate relationships is to be able to show up as you are and show up as who you are. And when I think about loneliness at work, I can't help but reference my own experiences and also what I've heard from, from colleagues and peers and people who I've talked to along the way. And I think that being in an environment where it's a struggle to make connections, where you don't feel supported to show up as who you are, to, to be yourself, is a huge impediment to making real connections. And the term authenticity is thrown around a lot. And I think that it is something that we need to dig a little bit deeper on as individuals and as leaders in workplaces. What it really means to me is dropping some of those walls and some of those fears and being open to connecting with people, share your your real experiences, who you are, the challenges that you've had and how you've come to be so that it gives other people permission to to do the same and show up as, as who they are. So that's my perspective on it. And I think the research on the loneliness epidemic more broadly, I, I cite George Will's article on this in the Washington Post is really sad. And I think there's in some ways a silver lining to it, which is that it's an epidemic, but it also means that there's so many people who are craving real human connection. And we just have to do a better job of facilitating it.
0: One of the things that struck me reading your book is the word that came up for me reading your book was just delightful. I just enjoyed reading it. And one of the reasons for that is how much you share about your own journey and just how real and transparent you are and authentic you are about your journey. And you mentioned a moment ago, just your own journey through this and, and loneliness. Where has this shown up for you, and where did you struggle along the way with loneliness?
1: First of all, thank you. I love delightful as a term to associate with my book. So I have gone through, in my life, periods of loneliness. I think it's a core part of the human experience. I think everyone has felt it at at some point in their life. And when I think about the time that I felt the most lonely, the most isolated, I talk about an experience that's kind of personal to my family when i was in high school i have an older brother who became addicted to drugs and my family went through this upheaval and i felt as though my family became clouded in this dark shame and i was raised in an environment where it was very high achieving and kind of the culture of perfectionism was palpable at my high school and in my community and I think my family not only struggled with my brother's drug addiction, but also this sense or fear of of judgment around it and judgment from other people. And so I felt very lonely because I was going through a challenging experience with my family. And at the same time felt as though I couldn't share that loneliness and that struggle with my friends because they couldn't relate. And I couldn't share it with my teachers and the other people in my network because I didn't know anybody who had a family member struggling with addiction. And I didn't know anybody who I felt like would receive it without judging me or judging my family. And it was really coming from this place of deep fear. And And that wasn't necessarily true. I think as I grew up and my family worked through that challenge, I recognized that the moment I started to share about it was the moment I started to realize that it was actually more common for the people in my network to have kind of a, a dark spot or a struggle in their family that they had also felt afraid to share, kind of coming from the same drivers that I was feeling at, you know, 16 years old when this all started.
0: It's amazing how we can be surrounded by hundreds sometimes thousands of people, and yet truly be lonely, isn't it?
1: It is, I think, one of the saddest things to think about. And actually, I have reflected, and when I put this story of my brother in the book, I went back and forth on it. But one of the reasons I decided to include it was because I would say it probably has been the biggest struggle in my family and in, in my life. And I think that the topic of addiction and mental health is something that people are afraid to address outright they're afraid to to share what they have personally struggled with or their family has struggled with and what that does is it keeps the the darkness clouded and hidden and the cure for darkness is to shine light on it and not enough people do that and i think if we were to challenge ourselves to get over our own fears and share a little bit more about where we've struggled it would provide relief and hope to others who might be feeling alone and going through something very similar.
0: You use the analogy of a crab in the book, talking about relationships. Tell me about the crab and and how that shows up for you.
1: Yeah. So I've heard this crab analogy in a number of different places. So I can't remember exactly where I originally heard about it, but there's been research done on crabs that if you put a bunch of crabs into a bucket, it would be easy for any one of the crabs to just climb out of the bucket and escape and save its life. But none of the crabs can ever get out of the bucket because the moment one of the crabs gets to the top, the other crabs every time will drag him back down to the place where everybody else is. And I use this analogy to describe the negative relationships that we have in our lives. And I spend a lot of time talking about how important it is for us to gain control over our own mindset and our own thinking, and that fear-based thinking where you are negative and judgmental and, in general, kind of a destructive thinker rather than a productive thinker is something that you absolutely have to gain control over and squash if you want to live a full and meaningful life. And so... When I talk about the relationship chapter and the crab mentality, I talk about how it's so hard to take control of your own negative thinking, and it's next to impossible when you are surrounded with people who are telling you every reason why you shouldn't be positive and every reason why you shouldn't believe in yourself because they've never bothered to try it themselves. And the only way that you can truly navigate that is to, as much as humanly possible, avoid people who have succumbed to their own crab mentality and instead fill the relationship space in your life with people who are great influences of positive productive thinking
0: and i think our human tendency i know for me is to look at the people around us who might be those kinds that would pull us back and that aren't thinking as as big and as magnanimous as maybe we are and Yet the invitation you make is the starting point for breaking out is not to look at others, but actually to assess your own status. <laughs> and You call, your, you call your own crab status, which I love. Tell me what that looks like. How can we, in the midst of that bucket and that sea of like feeling like we're not able to get further away because of the culture of the organization or because of our current relationships, what's the starting point to look and work?
1: That's the most important step in improving your relationship. So I will share my own story. i I was a total crab. I was insecure, negative, gossipy, super judgmental, and someone who would get very jealous or envious when I would see people around me succeeding and happy. And the root cause of all of that was because, number one, I was not introspective whatsoever. I was very insecure and afraid and i had no control over my own mindset i gave zero critical thought to what i allowed to rattle around inside of my own mind and so when you think about the relationships around you i think you can't control other people that's a fact you can only control yourself so you have to really look at yourself and consider am i a net positive in the lives of the people who i surround myself with am i somebody who encourages And supports and gives positivity and light to the people around me? Or am I somebody who is quick to judge, quick to shut down, and somebody who struggles to nip my negative impulses in in the bud? And if you're not confident that you have been a positive influence on those relationships in your life, then you've really got to start with your own mindset. So when I consider gaining control over my own thinking and kind of helping myself evolve from a crab <laughs> to a magnanimous thinker, as you called it, Dave. So I'm going to steal that from you. Uh, my relationships blossomed because of that. It attracts a different type of person to you that might've not wanted to hang out with you because they didn't want to get infected by your crabbiness.
0: Yeah. And I guess the thing I'm so curious about here is a lot of us have been that crab, right? And, and we all are that crab some days. <laughs> Still, <laughs> it's true. And so, looking back now, you see that in the moment, though, that was so hard to see to see that insecurity and all the things you mentioned. What was the difference maker? What you did, what you read, what you started thinking that got you to the place of thinking, ah, oh, maybe there's a slightly different way to approach this.
1: Yeah, my lowest crab status moment. I was on a huge project and traveling nonstop. I was not taking care of myself and felt as though I had no choices. And so instead of trying to fix the situation, what I did was I just allowed my negativity to run rampant. And I decided that the problem was everybody else and my firm, and I was going to get a new job. And so I went out and I interviewed and I had an offer for another role. At a different firm. And I told one of my mentors who sat me down and said, Colleen, you can go ahead and take this job and you're going to potentially end up in exactly the same situation. What are you going to do then if you move to a new firm and you run into the exact same roadblock? And I remember that advice kind of hitting me like a ton of bricks and recognizing that changing my circumstances might momentarily distract me But I started to recognize that my own thinking was the real problem. And right around the exact same time that I had that conversation, someone recommended Eckhart Tolle's book to me, The Power of Now. And I decided to read it because I didn't really have anything to lose. And I decided that I wasn't fully confident that changing jobs was going to be the answer. So I read the book and in the book, he talks about how most people actually are crazy in the sense that they focus on things they have absolutely no control over, either things that happened in the past that they can't stop ruminating over and obviously can't change, or things that might happen in the future that they have zero ability to predict or control, and they completely miss focusing on what they can control, which is their own thoughts and their own actions in this exact moment. And he talks through how to start looking at your mind and being self-aware and recognizing your thoughts as they come and taking steps to essentially shift your thinking so that your actions are more productive. And that book was a game changer for me and really got me started on this self-development wormhole that helped me go from being this totally negative crab that you would never want to talk to on this podcast (laughs) to... uh, I think somebody who has intentionally built a really happy and fulfilling life because I've gotten over that way of thinking.
0: Yeah. And you've learned how to do it, right? It didn't just come naturally. And I think for most of us, it doesn't. And most leaders, I think it doesn't. There are the occasional exceptions, right? There's the people who really naturally do this well, and we all love to hate them, right? But for for <laughs> most of us, This is a learned skill. It's not something our schools do a fabulous job, at least most places, in teaching us relationship building, how to really listen, some of these core skills that are essential for leadership. And so you having learned that has been a key skill. And you said something a couple of times, you used the word mindset. And I was thinking about that transition you talk about in the book of getting that offer. And you had a mentor who sat you down at some point and said, don't run away from something, run towards something.
1: Tell me about that. Yeah. Oh, that's been one of the pieces of advice that like I think about it and it still gives me goosebumps. So the idea that you can change your circumstances, I think is tempting that if you don't like something and you are uncomfortable, it is very easy to run away. But the advice was that that essentially takes you nowhere and it doesn't move you forward. That you are better off staying put and focusing on what you can control and seeking what truly excites you and energizes you that you can't stop thinking about, you can't look away from, and that you want to run towards. And it is a really simple frame, but it's something that has been so inspirational to me in my life because in all areas of our life, I think we run into times where it would be easier to simply Walk away or run away rather than really focus in on like what do I want my ideal situation to be, and how do I find that and run towards it?
0: It's one of those wherever you go there you are kind of things
1: <laughs> exactly
0: that mm-hmm. if you you show up in the third job over five years and Curiously, the same kind of difficult situations keep showing up, and you're the only common factor, <laughs> right? I know. And so there's the invitation there for us to look inward, which you, you're you challenging us to do. And thinking about this beautiful advice you received of not running away from something, which is so easy to do, but it doesn't really change much for us, but moving towards something. One of the invitations you make around relationships is consider who you're not spending time with, but want to be spending time with. What does that look like?
1: So, I love that line about just thinking about who are those people that you would love to have in your life. And when I think about that idea, it's really looking at who are those people you want to be more like? You want to learn from them. There's some sort of light in them that inspires you. And that idea is really, I think, focused on back to looking at yourself. How do you become the type of person that they want to spend time with? Right. And I have learned so much through paying attention to those people in my network who intrigue me and are doing something that really interests and excites me and observing. And I think, depending on context, where you're able to kind of learn from those people that you do want to have in your network, it's just. A fascinating way to learn, and a fascinating way to look at where you are versus where you want to be, and learn from those people who are already kind of moving down that path. And one of the things I've been reflecting a lot on lately, that and I'm very intrigued by this, are people who can rest. I know that sounds bizarre, but at this place where I am right now, I think I'm doing so much, and I'm so fascinated by some of the people who are in my life that I think are at this place of peace and rest and calmness. At all times, and I'm so intrigued by like how do you think and how have you achieved that level of confidence to just be kind of perfectly at peace and resting in who you are at all times
0: yeah I, I think it relates to one of the quotes you cite in the book which I've come across a few years ago and I love is the quote from Jim Rohn of you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and if you are willing to do this proactive work that you've described of Getting yourself in community with people who you really respect, admire, want to be more like, even if you did nothing else (laughs) of ask them good questions, think about the strategy for how to leverage the relationship better, even if you did nothing else, just by being in their presence, just by being around them, you start to become more like them. You start to think more like them, and you take on the things that they know, and you understand how they think.
1: I mean, it's so true. I think that there's this infectious nature to words and thoughts and energy. I think every person knows what it's like to walk into a room and feel something, right? You pick up on something. You can walk into a room where people are dejected and kind of de-energized and in a negative space, and, and it's almost palpable. And I think that affects the way that you think and it affects the way that you feel versus if you walk into a room of people who are excited and energized and positive, you feel a different way. And I think that we don't talk enough about the impact that other people's thoughts, actions, and behaviors have on the way that we operate. And that influence piece I think is is huge. And Jim Rowan's quote I, I love also because It makes you question, who do I spend the most time with? And if I really take a step back and think about who I want to be, are those the people that I really need to be spending my time with in order to to be that person for the people in my life who need me? And when I first heard it, I think I heard that quote in The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And I did take a step back and think about, you know what, there's a couple people who I think are making me potentially more negative and maybe more judgmental than I would like to be in my ideal version of myself, and it's I think something every person should consider
0: yeah, and I really like thinking about this through the two different roads you've illuminated of one is you know how do we maybe eliminate some of the relationships that or reduce some of the relationships that are not healthy and also how do I increase the number of relationships that are really the kinds of relationships I'd like to be? And, and going going back to that crab analogy, one way is to try to change all the other crabs in the bucket, right? Which is not going to probably be very effective. The other way is to hop in a different bucket. As you work with people and you're helping them to do that, find who are the people you're not spending time with. Really looking at this from the positive angle of it, you know, regardless of who who's in your life today, who are the people who aren't there? What tends to be a good starting point for folks to think about that and then take some step to actually make that reality.
1: One analogy I love to give is that makes this very real for people is looking at a parent child relationship. Every parent looks at their children's friends very critically. When you think about a child going to school, parents have a lot of opinions about who their child hangs out with because they know that their child is going to be influenced by that circle. And if they're hanging out with kids who are getting into trouble, lighting things on fire on the playground, and <laughs> totally not paying any attention to their schoolwork, a parent would share that perspective that I don't want you hanging out with Sally who's vandalizing the playground. Yeah. Why don't you try to befriend some of those kids who are you know, volunteering after school or getting straight A's that might be able to help you with your math that you've been struggling with? And so when you take that analogy of parent-child and think about yourself as the child in in the situation and having kind of this objective view of who you want to become and where you have some areas that you could use influence and inspiration, I think that really highlights where to focus. And I gave that example, you know, where I am in my life. And one thing I'm focused on is really incorporating more like rest and more peaceful moments in my life because I am very high energy and doing a lot all the time and i am intrigued by people that have been able to build in those kind of periods of rest and have this sense of calmness about them at all times. And I have been finding myself kind of seeking those people out to learn from the way that they think, the way that they operate, and kind of what do they know that I don't? And I can learn just by spending more time with them.
0: And when you have an interaction like that, let's take the example of finding someone who's restful. What does that look like? How does that actually, you get in a space where you're being influenced by who they are and their thinking?
1: I'm going to give an example of a colleague of mine. Her name is Brina. And when I first started working with her, I picked up on her calm energy almost immediately. And at first I just observed and I eventually went over and told her that I Sense that she had this really calm energy around her that was such an asset to our client and to our project team. And I was just curious on where that came from and how she approached her day, how she approached sometimes challenging situations. And she shared it with me. And I think cultivating that sense of curiosity around how people operate and why they do what they do and just asking questions is a great, first step some people will will tell you i'm sure it's just a matter of preference but over the course of time you know she and i got to be closer and i think she has helped me start to put some things in perspective and give me some tactical ways that i can incorporate more of that peace and calmness in my life and one piece of advice that she gave me that i started to pick up on was i mentioned to her that i was kind of feeling like i had a lot of stress piling up a lot of responsibilities piling up and she said what if you just didn't dial into those conference calls? And I said, I don't think I can do that. And she's like, why not just try it? What's the worst thing that could happen? And I started laughing because I had never considered it. And now it's part of my process. I will consider, is this conference call critical? Is it something that's just going to create work for me? And if the answer to the first one is not critical, and if the answer to the second question is yes, it's just going to create more work, then I just won't dial in. And it came from observing this kind of sense of calmness and peace from somebody who you know, is very different than I am and asking her questions.
0: It's amazing how we can get in our own heads on something, isn't it? Years ago, I used to teach a corporate training program at a client site. And every day I would go in and reset the room because it wasn't set correctly. And I would move out all the chairs and it would take like 40 minutes for me to do this every week for almost every week of the year. And I did it over a course of years. And one day, someone who was in the class showed up early, and they said, why are you moving all of the chairs in the room? You could just move half of them, and you could use the same space up front. And it was one of those moments that I just remember thinking, it never even occurred to me to think of doing it a different way than I'd been doing it. Like Literally, weeks of my life had been burned doing this (laughs) stupid thing. And it was one of those times I remember, it's kind of a silly example, but if you're only in your own mind about it and you never take the time to talk through it with someone else or allow someone else to challenge you on it, doesn't necessarily mean that you do it the way they suggest. But if you're willing to at least listen and consider a different way, someone who's not as emotionally connected to the situation can illuminate that through a relationship in a way you never get on your own.
1: A hundred percent agree with that. Just- somebody who can challenge the way that you think in the right way and give you a new frame that helps you live a better life, I think that only comes from relationships. Like this example I gave of Brena. the reason that she's so calm is because she doesn't put herself in stressful situations that generate extra work that she can't handle. And that seems so obvious when I say it out loud, but... It took me really observing her and recognizing I needed some of that kind of calmness and peace in the way that I approached it and really wanting to understand kind of how does she think differently than I do? And her influence on me, I think, has been huge. I'm certainly not somebody I would call like a example of calm and peace, but <laughs> she's given me some really great tools that I wouldn't have had otherwise.
0: The other path, of course, is there are times that you do need to Put some distance between yourself and another crab and thinking about personal situations and with family, those are situations that are tough to navigate and sometimes are relationships you don't necessarily want to end, but a bit of distance and navigating the relationship differently can help. When the time is right to create a bit of distance, what's a good starting point for people?
1: Yeah, I think that this is such a highly personal question, but I would recommend considering how you feel when you're around certain people. And I've started to recognize if I'm around somebody who makes me feel anxious or makes me start to doubt or feel a sense of judgment or fear, I don't want to have them in my space. And I don't think that anyone does that intentionally. I don't think there's anybody out there who goes about their life wanting to make other people anxious or fearful or doubtful or wanting to judge others. I think they just have never considered another way of operating. But I almost wholesale have taken a step back from those relationships and those people in my network who make me feel that way. And I would recommend kind of just starting with the way that you feel and the way that you sense another person's influence on you to gauge if they are kind of taking energy from you. Even if they are the nicest person, they don't mean it. If that's what they do to you, that's a great person to consider maybe taking a step back from and opening that relationship slot in your life.
0: I really appreciated your work just of how authentic you are and how much as as you've said, you know, this is this is what you've learned. You've been on the journey. And I think sometimes when you've learned something and you've dealt with all the struggles and you've gotten better at it as clearly you have, you're just in a place to be able to teach it so much better. And I just appreciate all the, all the wisdom you've given us and the analogies and the examples today. So the book is, Am I Doing This Right? A Philosophical Guide to Life in the Age of Overwhelm. I've taken notes on Colleen's book. I'll have those in the book notes in the weekly leadership guide. So watch for that. Colleen, one final question. As you've been On this journey over the last few years of doing work and living life and doing it differently, as you've talked about, what have you changed your mind on in the recent past?
1: So I have been doing a fellowship at MIT. They have a center for collective intelligence, and there's a really smart professor there named Tom Malone. And we were talking about some of the human skills, social emotional skills that drive group intelligence or collective intelligence. And I Talk to him about the importance of confidence and overcoming self-doubt as a really critical skill. And he challenged me on that and said, I think you're wrong about overcoming self-doubt. I don't think it's something that you can overcome. And I don't think that it is mutually exclusive with confidence. And it really got me thinking, and I ended up changing my mind about this idea of self-doubt. I used to think that it was a problem that needed to be eliminated. And a roadblock to true confidence. But Tom helped me to understand that it's not something that is necessarily a problem or that something we can even overcome. It's always something that's going to be popping up as we go. And it's really, number one, a sign that you're pushing yourself past your comfort zone and taking risks. And number two, it's fuel, right? It's something that you have to consistently assess and overcome and kind of build your courage. And it can be a source of confidence, something that demonstrates you have the ability to continually overcome your self doubt and push yourself and accomplish things and kind of rest in in who you are. That's something that I have changed my mind on in in a pretty big way. And actually, I have a good quote on that for you. So, on that topic of self doubt, the quote is by Richard Eyer, and it's I can't think of anyone I know who isn't fueled by self doubt. It's an essential ingredient, it's the grit in the oyster.
0: Colleen Bordeaux, thanks so much for your wisdom.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This was fun.
0: If this conversation was helpful, several related episodes you'll also want to check out. One of them is episode 279, How to Grow Your Professional Network with Tom Henschel. Tom and I talked in detail in that episode on how we can look at our professional relationships, not just as the hunting analogy that many times we think of when we think about networking events, of going out and finding as many relationships as we can, but rather transitioning a bit more toward The gardening analogy of how do we really grow and cultivate the kind of relationships that we want to be sustainable for us for hopefully our entire careers. Uh, Episode 279 is a great inspiration for how to take the first steps to do that. I'd also invite you to check out episode 346 How to Build Relationships at Conference with Robbie Samuels. Robbie and I talked in that episode on how to do something that's uncomfortable for a lot of us, but also a wonderful opportunity for many of us, which is building relationships when we are at professional events, specifically at conferences. Oftentimes, there's a tremendous opportunity there, and many of us, myself included, have missed those opportunities because there's that discomfort of, how do I start a relationship? What do I do to take the first step? Those common fears that many of us run into in episode 346, some really helpful and practical Tactics from Robbie on how to establish great relationships when you're at a professional event. Also recommended is episode 362, Grow Beyond What Is Safe, with John Corcoran. A good reminder in that conversation on how to get beyond our comfort zone and the importance of doing that consistently. Relationships, of course, a great example of that as Colleen and I talked about today. And then finally, Colleen and I talked offline about the work of Priya Parker and how helpful that's been to both of us in thinking about how to create even better relationships. She joined me on episode 395. The topic then was how to create meaningful gatherings. She's done some fabulous work on that, and it's a wonderful starting point. If you Are uh, in the place where you're hosting events, or maybe you'd like to do more of that, again, professionally or personally. And just some wonderful invitations there from Priya on how to structure the expectations around events in a way that build really meaningful relationships. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you will take a moment to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com, you can search the entire archive by topic, of all the episodes that have been aired since 2011, I do occasionally get an email from someone that says, "Hey, how do I get the episodes prior to the the ones that are showing up on iTunes and the other services?" I wish we could have all of them go to the services. Unfortunately, they only show the most recent 300 episodes, but you can find everything at coachingforleaders.com, the entire library. So check that out. Also, you'll receive my weekly leadership guide and all the benefits of free membership, including one of the audio courses, 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. It's a great follow-up to this conversation. Next week, former UN Ambassador and National Security Advisor, Susan Rice, on how to be more diplomatic. Join me for that. Have a fabulous week and see you next Monday. Take care.